take a bagel and a donut across country as you escape an arranged marriage only to get shit on by the kids at military school, get high on spirituality and drugs, and become a war criminal. I'm Victoria. And I'm Juliet, and welcome to a Bagel and a Donut podcast. We are two-thirds of Sunday Reads, an up-and-coming bookstagram um, account, so go follow us there. You should follow us there. We want more followers. We might follow you back if you do. Um, so since this is the first episode, I guess we should introduce what this podcast is about. So this is a podcast where Victoria and I talk about media we are passionate about, whether we love it or hate it, hate it a lot or hate it so much. So sit back and listen as we scream to the void. On today's episode, we will be talking about a book, specifically a adult fantasy book by R.F. Kuang called The Poppy War. Basically how this podcast is going to be structured is we're going to do a non-spoilery section and a spoilery section at the end. So this first section is okay to listen to if you're interested in learning more about The Poppy War, whether or not we think you should read it, stuff like that. Um, so first, we're going to talk a little bit about what the book is about. So a non-spoiler synopsis. The Poppy War is the first book in an adult fantasy series whose plot is largely based on 20th century Chinese history, particularly the Second Sino-Japanese War, which was a part of World War II. Many describe the book as a grimdark fantasy, though I don't know if I would necessarily describe it like that. I don't know a lot about grim, dark fantasies, though I would certainly say that the book is dark and grim. The book follows our main character, Rin, who is a war orphan who shocks everyone when she aces a nationwide exam, granting her access to the Nikon Empire's most elite military academy, Synagard. But getting into the academy is just the beginning. Faced with classism, cutthroat rivals, and an unearthly hidden power, Rin must push herself harder than ever before, all while the nation teeters on the edge of war. Dramatic music. I will say, Grimdark is interesting because I feel like it's not a bad descriptor of the Poppy War. Dark things definitely happen in the book, especially towards the end. Definitely check the trigger warnings, but we will also list the trigger warnings ourselves later on. When you think about other Grimdark media, like the boys and stuff like that, it's definitely not as dark. I not would, as no. <laughs> I would say it's as dark, but it's definitely a different type of dark. And I don't know how to describe it. I guess the boys. I feel like grim dark is almost like I don't want to say an aesthetic, but for some reason it just doesn't seem to fit this book. And I don't know how to describe why. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. It's not necessarily that the Poppy War isn't on the level of like things that happen like the boys. However, I think the boys is more apparent and flashier about it. Whereas yeah. like when we get to the dark parks in this book, it's like they're there, they're horrifying, but they're not gratuitous. The boys is gratuitous. Yes, yes I agree. So I don't know if you want to say, I mean, a little background, I guess, is that I... Juliet have read all three books in this series. I read The Poppy War and really, really liked it. And I was like, Victoria, you have to read this. So then they have someone to talk to about it. And then I forced her to read it. Victoria has not read the rest of the trilogy yet. I think she plans to. So I'm going to be trying really hard not to spoil anything for the next two books in this podcast. And Victoria will not have to worry about spoiling anything. 
I mean, is it safe to say we both really liked the book? I don't want to say it is, for you. It is, it is super safe to say that we both really loved this book. I really enjoyed it. Yes, I would highly recommend this book. So not for everyone. I think there's definitely some reasons that people de- wouldn't like this book, and we can get into that later. But maybe just for some general thoughts about why we liked the book in a non-spoilery way so people know a little more about it. When I was reading the book, so more backstory, I really like fantasy and I really like reading fantasy. But kind of when I went into reading this book, I was kind of in a slump where I was like, all fantasy is the same. I started like a bunch of different fantasy books and was like, this is not for me. Everything just feels the same. All these tropes are the same. And so when I started The Poppy War, I think it was really refreshing, not only because it's not in a setting that's based off of medieval Europe, like all them fantasies, but also because I thought, you know, the world building was very different, the magic system was very different, and the characters, even though I hate most of them, were amazing. And so I just felt like it was very refreshing for me to read. Um, It's definitely very different from a lot of fantasy books, which could be a good or bad thing for readers. Yeah, who who would have thunk that if you just get away from Europe, everything's just going to feel so much different? Gosh. Who would have guessed? I know. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew there was a world outside of Europe? (laughs) I thought I thought the world consisted only of Europe. It's fine. They got they got them them elves, they got the dragons. I almost want this to be foreshadowing for a DD podcast where I just explain D D concepts and controversies to Juliet because I've been oh thinking gosh. about this I would be else... so lost <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 I feel like you wouldn't be as lost as you think but to keep us on track I basically agree with everything you just said when I was reading the poppy war it was I thought it was incredibly well paced it's interesting because I think both of us would describe it as fast paced but I've seen it put down as medium paced on Storygraph, which I prefer over Goodreads. I think everyone should switch over to Storygraph. But must plug. We're not even sponsored. But so it's separated into three parts. And when when you hit all of those parts, it makes sense like why they're separated. I know like books are trying to be um, intentional with that when they have like different parts in their book. But for this one, I feel like it was just like really well executed. Characters that you're not going to relate to maybe in some like obscure ways, maybe in like some surface level ways, but like at their core, you're not going to relate to them. And honestly, for the better. Yeah, I think one of the biggest strengths of this book, and it's probably one of the biggest reasons why people may may not like this book is definitely that the characters are very complex. They're very realistic. And most of them, I kind of really hate as people, but they're such interesting characters And I think it's okay that you don't like them or that you might not have a lot in common with them. Or it's okay that you might start out relating to a character, but then by the end of the book, completely not relate to them at all. There's a lot of development. The development is not unfounded. Like you definitely understand why every character makes a decision that they make. And I just love it. Gosh, I just love it. Novels, specifically YA, but all novels in general will start to get better once like both the audience and authors move away from like trying to make every character relatable because 
if you're trying to make every character relatable, they're one, we're going to see all of the same character like we have been seeing. And two, it's just gonna, it's just so bland. It's been so bland. Like, I want good stories again. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, and I'll, oh, go ahead. No, no, you can go. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I like, I like how you said, um, that you can start off relating to them and then by the end you probably won't and that's like such a testament to like how the things these characters go through one either you're never going to go through them in your life and, and I sure hope no one goes through what they went through in their lives but it's like such a testament to how like events shape people because I feel like that's like, like so easily negligible I mean I don't think it's a spoiler to say this book is about a war it's like in the title right <laughs> um, I will definitely say this is the most I guess, hard-hitting and realistic depiction of a war that I've seen in any book that I've read, nonfiction, or I mean, maybe not nonfiction, because nonfiction is real, but like, especially fantasy books, I think, I think that especially, I guess I read a lot of YA fantasy books. And in those books, I think it's easy to have wars wrap up very cleanly, or to have characters suffer some trauma, but still ultimately make it out the same or morally good. Whereas here, I think you definitely see the effects that this war has and how much it changes everything. Yeah, and like, we're seeing them change in the present, whereas like, and I don't want to generalize like all media about war, but at least what I kind of see with like popular more war movies is that like, they don't change while things are happening, but they, they're changed after it's all over. And that's not to say that that isn't how some people is. It's just nice to see like, how people are affected by it differently. Yeah, I agree. Other reasons why we like the book, I guess kind of the historical inspiration, I think we kind of touched on this when we talked about the world building and how it's different from a lot of other fantasies because of its setting, because of its Asian inspired setting. But I think growing up personally, hearing about a lot of the events that the book is based off of from people in my family who lived through these events. I don't want to say refreshing, but like, it was very impactful to read a story based off of these events, even though I think it's debatable about how well the representation is handled, which I think we can talk a little bit about later. Um, But I definitely feel like because it was something that I didn't really learn about in school here in America, where the education system is great. Um, (laughs) I didn't really learn about these events a lot in school. It was definitely through my family. So getting to see something based off of this was definitely hard to read. There were parts where I felt like I was physically going to throw up. Um, But I think that's just a testament to how strong Kwong's writing is. (laughs) Point made. (laughs) Yeah, if we haven't made it apparent, uh, we're both Asian. I'm South Korean, and Juliet is Chinese. (laughs) Half Chinese, Chinese American. Yeah, we are both of the Asian American variety, which is, again, why we're definitely, like, upholding the poppy war. (laughs) Biased, but correctly biased, and wanting to support, you know, other Asian authors and, and their stories and stuff like that, because it's like, we want to see good stories about us. I just want a fantasy where I can actually imagine that I'm in this world. I know I would die in this book. I could not survive in this book. I would be dead. But we would have been dead. <laughs> I'd like to imagine I could have been a corpse on the side of the <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> on that 
that note, <laughs> maybe, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about the reasons why we think maybe this isn't the book for everyone? Like, um, why people I think, maybe shouldn't read it? Or is there? I think I have like one more thing to say before we move on to like spoilery stuff, because I think this is non-spoilery. The writing style, I think, is very effective. But it could also be a turnoff to some people. It really depends. It all depends on your taste. Her writing style is very, at least for this book, and I assume it continues on for the rest of the books, is that it's very straightforward, you know, does not stray away from like hard hitting details and stuff like that. But it's like very, it's, it's very efficient writing. She knows exactly what she needs to say. She knows exactly like how many words she needs to complete a scene. And she like does not go for that. You would be amazed, at least I was amazed, at like how much personality comes from um, both the dialogue and just like the little actions she puts right after the dialogue. Like, I was just like, wow, so much character. I definitely agree that the writing style, I think it's maybe also what sets it apart from some other fantasies where I feel like fantasy can be very descriptive and ornate. And this is definitely very like to the point only the information you need to know. But I loved how she developed her characters through dialogue. And I was talking to another friend about this book who's currently reading it. Um, And she was talking about how the dialogue is a little bit anachronistic for the time. Like they're saying, fuck, like real teenagers during this time. And it's a little bit maybe strange or like it doesn't necessarily match the time. But for me, I felt like that made the characters more realistic like they feel like real teenagers like they do stupid things that real teenagers do and I just love that (laughs) they are actual children (laughs) they are children even if like by the time things happen like I think Rin's like 19 isn't she yeah I think they the series I think goes until they're in their early 20s I think yeah spoilers she becomes 19 um she ages <laughs> she lives that long <laughs> <laughs> but you don't know if she lives longer so don't worry so comments on that which is really interesting i think the re well obviously the reason i didn't think about it is because i'm always surprised at when words were created and i'm pretty sure these words are pretty old so this this is a fantasy world and it's like kind of like um the setting itself is actually supposed to be older than the events it's based off of Mm -hmm. um but since but since it is based in like you know relatively not like super modern but relatively modern things that's why they sound like more modern but it's like you'd be surprised when like also this is an explicit podcast so when fuck and all these other words were created to be fair i would argue that curse words existed all the way back then even into ancient times because yeah. the romans were known for graffitiing dicks all over their buildings so don't tell me that these <laughs> things did not exist <laughs> i would love for us to do like a culture podcast because it remi- my friend went to bhutan and like dicks are really important as like fertility symbols so they also paint dicks everywhere <laughs> oh my god that is just cultural baby but so yeah which is why I'm not disturbed by how they talk. Also, it's really interesting, right? Because I like when people are kind of clever with their modernisms in historical fantasy. And I can think of two examples. I think the more relevant one is... I'm losing the more relevant one. The other one I can think of is A Knight's Tale, that movie, where it's medieval Europe, but they're dancing to... um, 
they're mm-hmm. dancing to David Bowie. And it just adds so much. Yeah, I think it works for me. I understand if it doesn't work for other people, but maybe this could be a good segue into talking about some non-spoilery reasons why you might not like the book. And I think the writing style could be one, but I also think most importantly, the biggest thing that you should know is this is definitely an adult fantasy series because it is a depiction of a war based off real events that are very graphic, very, very horrible to read about um and so there are a lot of content warnings that come along with this and so if any of the following trigger warnings apply to you you should definitely not read this book if you're not in a good headspace you probably should not read this book so some content warnings that you should be aware about that are included in the book include this is a long list bear with me all genocide self-harm drug use and drug addiction misogyny abuse animal cruelty rape death often in graphic ways, torture, child death, starvation, mutilation, bodily experimentation, gaslighting, and suicide. I know that's a lot. I will say, obviously, if you are triggered by any of those things, do not read this book. But I will say that most of the book is not constant, constant graphic scenes. Um, It's mostly in part three that you'll find most of these graphic scenes as the war goes on. Um, But I wanted to make people aware who maybe aren't like necessarily affected by these triggers, but who are still hesitant about reading something that sounds very violent. Um, It's not the whole book, but it does get very graphic and you should be aware of that. Other reasons why you might not like this book. um, This is actually relates to one of the reasons why we said we like this book. And it's that, and it's if you need a protagonist that you relate to, and can always root for. Um, I would say when we were talking about complex characters, Rin is definitely included in that. And she definitely makes decisions that you might not agree with. And she might not always be the most relatable character. I think she's definitely an anti-hero. And if you don't like reading books where the main character is not the traditional hero per se, or where you don't necessarily relate to everything they do, then this might not be the book for you. Another reason which maybe also relates to why we like the book. Everything (laughs) is a double-edged sword, okay? It's all perspective. Um, It has to do with the writing a little bit and the pacing and the tone. So a lot of people actually read the first part of the book and then read the second part. And the two are very different. Like there's a very distinct tone shift. And some people kind of don't like the dissonance between them. Or some people say that they like part one really a lot, but then don't like part two or vice versa. And I definitely understand why people feel that way. I think that there are reasons that Um, this tonal shift occurs and we can talk a little bit more about that in the non in the spoilery section but I believe that it occurs for a reason that it serves a purpose but some people really like part one and don't like part two and vice versa and that's just how it is I can I can explain the last point I also have something to add but you can talk about the last point me being me I was looking at the Goodreads stuff because I was just like why do people not like the poppy war? I was just like so confused besides for like obvious reasons of like taste and stuff, which if it's taste, that's totally fine. But this one was really interesting where it came from someone who is um, Chinese, lived in China or like spent a lot of time in China. I was like, the author uses like a lot of geographical inspiration from China to the point where like she she like barely changes anything except for like maybe some names. Uh, Well, she definitely changes names. Mm -hmm. And the reviewer was like, it kind of put me, it kind of took me out of the fantasy because it's just like, I want to see like made up worlds, not like actual places just renamed. 
So I, I thought that was pretty valid. It's definitely something I didn't notice as a reader, but I think it's like a very valid critique. Yeah, I also read that and I thought it was a very valid critique. And I think the book is probably definitely more aimed towards, I don't want to say like Western audiences, but maybe like, or even like Asian Americans or like people of the diaspora, um, more so than I think East Asians born and raised in East Asia, because I think a lot of them already know about the events that this book is based off of. And the parallels are very obvious if you know anything about the history. It's like very in your face, which kind of relates to Another point that I saw a reviewer talk about who was also Chinese American, and they didn't like the book because they felt like the depiction of events, which are very violent, which actually occurred, was a little bit exploitative. And I can understand why they felt that way. I personally did not feel that way reading it. But I think it's valid to question how like these real events are being used to create a story and a plot that is fictional that does take place in a fantasy world. For me, I didn't ever feel like it was being treated like it wasn't anything serious, like it was being handled poorly. I think you definitely feel everything that you should feel when you hear about events like that taking place. And for me, growing up in a place where no one ever really talks about this happening, where a lot of people don't know that it happened, I thought it was very impactful to see it in a book, even if it was also terrifying to read and horrifying to read but I think people are valid in their criticism of the book for this I think it's definitely a conversation or discussion that people can have and I think that's just something people should be aware of. I gotta say it, this might be like the last point before we get into spoily parts but it's kind of interesting how it's like the people who like dislike the book are either in the group where they knew nothing about the events or they knew a lot about the events slash the uh, slash the world beforehand yeah i would definitely say if you plan on reading this book if we've convinced you and haven't scared you away yet i would definitely recommend reading up a little bit about the historical events that the book is based off of which specifically just for the first book the later books are based off of later events in chinese history that occur right mm -hmm. after the sino-japanese war but if you're planning on reading the poppy war i would recommend reading up a little bit about the opium wars which kind of have to do with the lead up to the second sino-japanese war and also the lead up to the poppy war in the book and as well as the second sino-japanese war um you can read up on wikipedia but i will warn you that some of the wikipedia pages can be very graphic and so maybe read it with caution but i think it's good to have at least a little bit of background knowledge before you go into it if you're also interested um i know the youtuber i'm sorry if i butcher this name library of alexandria alexandria um has a really great video on youtube about the history of the of china as it relates to the poppy war I know he made one video. I'm not sure if he was planning to make it a series. Um, and then also Read by Tiffany has a really good blog post on her blog um, that's a little bit about the history that goes into the series, though there are spoilers in that blog. So maybe wait until you finish the trilogy to read that. But I think if that's it for the non-spoilery section, we can go on to spoilers. Victoria... Exactly. We're going to go on to spoilers. So if you haven't read, read the book, read it. Because the answer is you should read The Poppy War. <laughs> in case we haven't made it clear, we highly recommend this book and we will shove it in everyone's face. Thank you. Yeah, it's just, it's hard because of the content it covers, but also it's just so 
good it's so good yay okay so if you have not read the book and you do not want to be spoiled please pause now and then maybe come back later if you decide to read it and also go follow us on our bookstagram shameless plug sorry we're desperate again that bookstagram's name was sunday reads no period um oh, oh sunday, sunday as, as an in ice, ice cream, cream. <laughs> <laughs> we had the same thought <laughs> okay bye non-spoilery people uh it's time it's time for for the boys to sit back with a cold one as we talk about the poppy war for real now the moment we have been waiting for where do you want to start we can start with the setting let's start with the setting yay okay i assume if you've read the book then you know that the setting is if you know you know (laughs) it's Nikan, it's the Nikan Empire, which is basically China, and they're at war with the Federation of Mugen, which is basically Japan, and there's also Spear, and there's also Hesperia lurking in the West because the white people. I mean, I will just say, I thought the world building was so good in this book. I, okay, this is really surface level stuff here, but I just really liked <laughs> that the 12 provinces were named after the 12 zodiac signs. I was just like, oh yes, oh yeah, but the whole time, the whole time I was mad that the Tiger Province was not getting its due because what's his name? Is it June? The combat teacher is from yes. Tiger Province and he's a complete ass. And I was like, why? A complete ass. No, Victoria and I are tigers. <laughs> the Chinese Zodiac, we are tigers. 98 on the Chinese calendar year. Born in 99. Yeah, but it's okay. It's the lunar calendar. It's whenever they have their New Year's anyway. I remember, because I am the weeb of this friend group, I remember reading Mugen and I immediately text Juliet, is Mugen Japan? And she's just like, yeah. And I'm just like, I totally guessed that because I was watching an anime and the one character's name was Mugen. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Bruh, context clues, context clues. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh my god. Okay, shout out to shout out to Rebecca Kwong. One, she's a lovely person and she's incredibly smart. Everyone should just like watch her. And everything. She's so smart. <laughs> so smart. And she's so pretty. And she's lovely. Anyway, her interviews, her interviews are so fun. And she's just like, yeah, so there's like a lot, there's like a lot of inspiration for the book. And it's just like, so, so it's like her with like her history background, because she's a history major and stuff like that. So it's like extensive history, like literally like the art of war thrown in there, literal like war strategy taken from war. And then she's just like, yeah, there's also some like Naruto and Bleach in there. And I'm just like, a girl. <laughs> Let's Listen, go. everyone. <laughs> what did she say? Everyone's Sasuke. <laughs> everyone's a Sasuke. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but there's one character. It's definitely Alton. Yeah, he is Sasuke first. to a T. Listen. Um, okay. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Other things. Okay, so remember when I said a lot of people really like the first part, but not the second part? I liked all the parts. But I really loved the first part just because I'm a sucker for school settings. I'm a sucker for people competing for the, with each other. I just really loved it. I liked getting to learn with the students. I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, I think the keiju or the military exam is supposed to parallel, like, real entrance exams that are used in East Asia, I think. it's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in, in the U.S., we have the SAT, but it's definitely not taken as seriously in terms yeah. of determining your college admittance um so I thought that was interesting and you know the lengths that she okay the lengths she goes to to get into this academy this is one of the reasons why I like 
I don't want to say I admire Rin because she's kind of a terrible person, but I admired her at the beginning because she just has so much ambition. And I was like, even though she's doing, she's like self-harming and that's not good. You should not do that to get into school. But like, she just knows what she wants and she gets it. Like, I cannot explain. Yeah, I love the Academy. I just like students competing with each other and teachers who are all different archetypes. (laughs) (laughs) Though we really only ever focus on Jun and Jung, but that's kind of all you need. Listen, the two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Quite literally, the two ends of the spectrum. What can we say? Everyone's a sucker for um, either magical schools slash uh, boarding schools. I was about to say border schools. Um, (laughs) You borders. Suckers for boarding schools. I mean, the dark academia aesthetic is coming back into light. Um, Yeah. Literally, everyone loves them being in school. Some people think that the whole first book should have just been them at school, but I'm just like, nah, fam. Nah. I definitely disagree. I think there wouldn't have been enough content for it to just be the first book. And Mm -mm. there's definitely conflict. Like, she faces... I guess we can talk a little bit about, obviously, the colorism and classism in the book. Rin is a dark-skinned girl from the South. She's poor, and she goes to this academy in the North where all these people have been basically raised in rich families, preparing their whole lives to go to this academy. And there's, they're all quite light-skinned. Um, I think this is obviously a big problem in East Asia today, where there's a lot of colorism. Um, there are a lot of bleaching products used to make people's skin lighter, and they look down on people who have a slight tan. This is actually, I was watching an interview with Rebecca Kwong, and she was talking about this, because she's actually, if you look at her, you will say that she is pale. Like, objectively, I think you would say that. But she actually went back, I think it was to China, I think she went to China. And people were commenting on how dark-skinned she was. And I was like, where? Oh. <laughs> Friend of where? <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, that really goes to show you how um, blinded they are for a punny term, because I I thought, to me, Rebecca looks like pale, pale as fuck. Right, right, <laughs> right. But I will say, I think it was very important that the colorism was included. I have heard people criticize her use of colorism because... The two characters who are considered dark-skinned, so like Rin and Alton, Mm -hmm. um, they feel like they're not great people. Though I would argue that everyone in the book is terrible, except for maybe Katai, but like, I don't know. I understand why, because you haven't read the whole trilogy yet. There are things that you find out about Alton that definitely make him seem like really a really terrible person, but I think he's complex. Like, I think the whole point about why he acts so terrible to other people is because of the discrimination he's faced because his whole people were killed in a genocidal like mass killing like i was about to say we're in the spoiler section man like well it it sounded like he witnessed it so man witnessed his whole people be killed and then he was abducted because um i guess we might as well just get to this part so in the book, they uh, there's constant reference of this of the genocide of Spear that <laughs> to, to the to the point where you know that Katai would be a redditor if he was like a, a like a real life person because he just will just like casually drop the genocide of Spear in like conversations with Rin. She's just like these trials worse than the genocide, and she's like, "Dude, you can't say that." And he's like, "What?" But but this man, Alton, Alton, this man, his people, 
were killed. And then he was taken by the Muganese people and then was experimented on for a long time. And like, they essentially are the people who um, force him to develop a, an opium addiction and stuff like that. So it's like, he has lived an incredibly hard life and has witnessed like just utter destruction. And so, and this is not to say that this justifies, this justifies acts he does or like if people have to find him sympathetic because he went through this. But all I'm saying is that like, if you don't, if you don't find him a complicated person, I don't, what does that say about you? Well, I would argue also so much of the character arc he goes through in the book. And obviously he's not the main character, so it's not the main he's focus. He's just my favorite. He's my bias. <sighs> okay, so I... Okay, full disclosure. I, Juliet, do not like Alton as a person. I think <laughs> he is terrible. I absolutely <laughs> do not like him, even though I understand where he's coming from. And I sympathize with this broken boy. Meanwhile, Victoria's over here like, he's so cool. <laughs> Everyone's a war him. criminal. Your fave is okay. going to be a war criminal. Look. But I was... I was gonna say, I think, like, you mentioned, like, his hatred of Mugen, the why he's so, like, violent, I guess, in his acts in this war is definitely understandable because, like, they experimented on him. Mm -hmm. He lost everything, supposedly, because of them. But I think also it's interesting that everything's not black and white. And so you also see how the Nakara, the Nakan people, they also have treated Spear, like, basically, like, slave labor all these years before it was destroyed. They let it get basically decimated and so they still treat him like like I guess you can see a lot of the ethnic discrimination where on the one hand they love him as a military leader because oh spear all these spearlies they're supposedly like great fighters they're destined to be great fighters but and he when and so they're willing to support him until he messes up and there's that moment where he just became the leader of the psyche I don't know how you say it and he makes a mistake in the war and then all of a sudden no one's willing to listen to him and you know that part of it is because he is a spearly and so there's this already this discrimination against him and so I definitely I think it's handled well maybe I'm reading too much into it but I I'm open to criticisms I'm open to other opinions yeah obviously everyone's gonna get is gonna have their own takeaway and I will treat your takeaway with as much respect as I see in your answer (laughs) has to be a well-written response um you're being graded here but it's interesting what you brought up see Alton's just such a good character because um and this 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 is a testament to how complicated this to how complex the events are in this book and the and the nations are therefore and because these things are what makes the characters complex because Alton is both um he's oppressed and he's objectified Mm-hmm. because it's like um he's the last one of the spear spearlies until spoiler you find out rin is also a spearly and you know he was this undefeated school person who was also like super smart you know goes on to join the the psych or i think it's technically supposed to be pronounced the sikha but we'll just call it the psych that's how they pronounce it in the audiobook so at least the audio people will understand and it's like all these people are like amazed by him and stunned by him because he has this incredible power. And so it's just like, it, it reminds me of this, um, this article I read for a gender women's study class about um, how this, the, the woman writing the, the article had coined the term um, 
controlling roles or controlling controlling something to to put it like a step above stereotypes because it's like it's more manipulative than stereotyping you are oh i think they're called controlling images you have these molds that you're going to force someone into mm-hmm. and they can't do anything about it and so he's literally being pushed into either he is like their great leader and uses his supernatural powers to save not even Spear, but Nikon, the other oppress- uh, oppressor, granted, it's, it's, it's one of those scenarios where it's like the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend because everyone mm-hmm. hates Mugen. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons. <laughs> For reasons. But it's just like, yeah, it's just like either he has to step up and rise up and be objectified, but never like never, never seen as a person except yeah. by Chagon, the only person who loves him. Okay. In case y'all don't know, we ship we ship it, even though I'm pretty sure it was just one-sided and it was just Charlie that liked him. But anyway, anyway, I was going to say, I definitely think, oh man, I had a point. I forget. Well, I was going to say, it's not even just like everyone tre- treats him as like an object, like even Rin, especially when she finds out that she is also a Spearly and she's so obsessed with him. She wants his approval, but she also wants to be like him. And I think- you can't ever like look at someone that way without objectifying them. Like the version, I think it's also that's also why it's difficult for us to know everything about Alton or what Alton is thinking or all of his motivations is because the entire book is told from Rin's perspective and she doesn't know everything and she's very flawed and her outlook on other people is very flawed. And so when she's looking at him and she's always seeking his approval and she's putting him on this pedestal like it's it is that everyone is objectifying him so i understand him i definitely don't think it excuses a lot of the decision decisions that he makes no but you it's just this is what happens with imperialism y'all this is what happens we're going to talk about the experience probably not in this book this podcast but the next book i was about to say I, talk. I, i've been waiting for them to show up like <laughs> Where, where the Another white question. At? The whole time I was thinking, so like, where them Hesperians at? Why aren't they intervening and helping, um, you know, the Nicaran? But I guess, I don't know how much of a parallel this is to what actually happened, because obviously the Western powers, the Allied powers did fight Japan in the Pacific in actual World War II. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the reason why there's still a lot of animosity surrounding these events and between China and Japan, but also like South Korea and Japan, the Philippines and Japan is because I think a lot of people feel like they weren't punished adequately for the things that they did during the war and or like not maybe not in the same way that Germany was or it wasn't acknowledged as fully. Mm -hmm. So I can see why there is a lot of animosity surrounding that, even though Japan today is obviously not who it was back then. And there are a lot of great people in japan they do great things absolutely but i think if anything this book does give you a lot of insight though it is in a fantasy world maybe into why relations are as they are in east asia today and also i think in future books why the relationship especially between china and the west is the way that it is today and here's a hint a lot of it is because of western imperialism dun 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 yeah this is why imperialism is bad okay and like thanks for coming to our ted talk (laughs) thanks for coming to our lecture (laughs) but 
And that's another reason why I'm really glad that the Poppy War has like become so popular and stuff like that. And that it's Rebecca has said that she like she she's she's writing for like you know for like all the the Asian slash Asian Americans and stuff like that. And I don't doubt that for a second. But I also do think that there has to be a piece of her that like is trying to write for the American audience in general because she just wants more people to learn about these things because um one of the things some people will complain about after having read The Poppy War is like things that happen to Mugen and stuff like that because you know they understand that Mugen is the stand in for Japan and most people who like don't really study up about like Asia and stuff like that they really only know about like Japan, China, and Korea when it comes to Asia. And that's only East Asia, not even all of East Asia. But like, these are the ones that are throwing out some of the most, um, like, not commodities, but like throwing out like things, which is why they'll see them. Um, but usually the most popular one is Japan, because it's like there's anime and stuff like that. And so people, you know, have this like soft spot for Japan. And there's nothing wrong with that. I also have a soft spot, soft spot for Japan. Again, I'm the weeb here. And I know more <laughs> like, japan and japanese mythos and stuff like that than korean stuff and again i'm korean so <laughs> please please understand that as i say so so people will come in with like very little information and context and when they see what happens to mugen they're just like how could they be so despicable not understanding that japan has a history of being the imperial the, the imperializing force in asia and has done a lot of atrocities, a lot of which it won't apologize for. And like, you know, those, those, those things get into politics and those things are like complicated in itself, but it's just like, that's kind of like important to re- recognize. Yeah. I also know what you're talking about, how Japan, especially in the West is very beloved to the point where it's sometimes fetishized, which is a yes. problem. Um, but I definitely agree. And Obviously, okay, so I guess this is a spoiler section. We can say, we can talk about this. Anything Obviously, goes. at the end of the book, Rin basically, I don't want to say indirectly, because she makes a decision. She's like, she directly. yes, Phoenix. And she basically commits genocide, blows up the whole island of Mugen, which is a stand-in for Japan. Um, and I've heard some people say that this is actually a parallel to the atomic bombs, which were dropped mm. at the end of World War II, which I can see, but they didn't kill, like burn the whole island. And it wasn't... The Chinese doing it, it was the Allied powers. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting comparison and it's definitely worth maybe talking about a little bit. But to your point, people saying, like, obviously what Rin does is not good. Yeah, it's, it's what not she good does, at all. No one should ever commit genocide. I can't believe I have to be saying this in the 21st century. Do not commit genocide. But there, I hate to admit it, but there was... A very, very small part of me, especially after reading everything that happens in Golanus, which is basically just the rape of Nanking, but Mm -hmm. in this fantasy world, especially after reading about the experimentation, which is just unit 731, especially after that, like there was a small part of me that was a little bit satisfied with Ren's decision. And I have seen other readers who were like really satisfied with it. And Obviously, a lot of this comes to my own bias, too, because I grew up in a family like my grandfather lived through a lot of this. And for a long time, he wouldn't buy Japanese goods because he just couldn't get past what he had lived through, what they had done to him. Mm -hmm. And obviously, today, I know Japan is not like that. And there are a lot of Japanese people that are great. But how can I go to him and tell him, like, oh, you know, 
I can't invalidate how he feels when he's gone through something like that. And so I understand why Rin makes that decision, how desperate she is to escape that oppression, to escape that imperialism, to end the war. At the same time, it's not right. Rin shouldn't have done it. And Katai, Katai tells her this. I think Katai, I've seen a lot of people, some people who don't like the ending say that they felt like it was just like the book was supporting her decision. And I definitely don't think at all that's what Kong was doing. Like Katai mm-hmm. at the end is like, Katai who lived through Golanus, who was there, who saw everything that happened, the terrible atrocities committed, who survived and lived through it all, who has the most reason probably to hate the Federation was like, mm-hmm. this is not right. You should not have done it, done that. And I think he has a line that's like, she's like, oh, well, they're monsters. And he's like, but what do you think they thought about us? Don't you think they thought we were monsters? And so... I definitely think Katai is the voice of reason. I don't think Kwong is trying to support what Rin does. She's definitely an anti-hero, but I understand why she does it, even if it's not right, even if I wouldn't do the same thing in her shoes. Exactly. And it's it's, it's the whole thing that it's just like, th- the only thing I want people to understand is that like, you don't have to agree or you don't have to agree with everyone. In fact, I would, I would argue you shouldn't agree with almost any character in this book. Um, yeah, you should not. They're all, they're all terrible. Yeah. Because they are in war. It is, it is, it is difficult to like conceive to have a concept of like what war is unless you are literally in one yourself. And so it's like, I don't agree with what anyone does. Um, obviously if they were all like, like, let's say if this was like a modern book, and stuff like that i'd want them to all be like charged with war criminals once the war was over and stuff like that and stuff uh and you know so on so on so on it's the whole thing is just like i just want people to understand that this is like a really complex not story but like literally what it was based off is also complex Mm -hmm. and so and so and i think what 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 can make me angry sometimes is when people are just like they take sides without, but, but they they don't realize they're they're taking sides. So it's like the people who are just like that should have never happened to Mugen, and it's just like yeah, well Mugen should have like never like strut up into Nikon and stuff like that. We can say this because we are the audience, and we are so far removed from their situation. We don't have to make decisions, the decisions that they're making. I guess Ex- exactly. Then, something I want to say also is that I don't want people like I don't think. Okay, so I don't think that she portrays the Federation necessarily as just evil, even though they do all these terrible things and these acts are evil. Like Mm -hmm. if you're committing these atrocities, I'm sorry, but dude, what are you doing? You're not even human anymore, right? But at the same time, like I think she does a good job of showing how the Nakan people aren't innocent. Like they're not pure. They're not above doing terrible things like yeah han is known for also maybe having some imperialistic tendencies just as china does today Mm -hmm. um in terms of how they treat spear and they're known for having like an ethnocentric ideal for a a very patriarchal society for a lot of classism even their own view of the federation is very racist just as the federation's view of nukan is very racist so i think she does a good job of not making it black and white either even as we are seeing these atrocities committed and we obviously don't agree with what is happening. I think she does a good job of making it complex. Exactly. Like this, this book is just like completely morally gray from like the events going on to the characters inside the book. And it's just like, like I said, I I just want that to be understood and respected. Like you can hate it, please. Like, like your feelings towards it are valid, but like, 
when you don't have an understanding is when I don't trust your thoughts about the book. Because I've seen some reviews where I was just like, you should have done some research because I can't take you seriously. (laughs) But, you know, maybe I'll just never watch your stuff and it's fine. Do you want to talk a little bit about the characters now then, since we are talking about complexity and morally gray people? I think so. I forget if there's like... Forget if I had like one more point, but we can move on to characters because Are I was sure? gonna say, yeah, no, I've, it's it's completely escaped my mind. <laughs> Let's move on to characters. Juliet and I have our biases, and if you knew if you knew Juliet as a person, her <laughs> bias would not be surprising at all. Listen, yours isn't either. Okay, listen, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to say this at the beginning. If you have a favorite character in this book, all characters are problematic faves. Yes, you cannot. Maybe even Katai, and I love Katai. I know everyone probably loves Katai. If you don't, how can you not? Mm-hmm. But listen, everyone in this book is a problematic fave if you like that. And we're just going to set this up at the beginning. It does not mean I agree with every decision this character makes if I like them. Yeah. If these characters were real people, we would run so hard the other direction. Like, and I don't run. I- I'd be running, but I did. I, d- I did remember that last point I wanted to say because like it it, it it goes with what we were talking about in that other thing before we move on to characters completely. It's yeah. the fact that like, um, so it's like we're talking about the complexities and stuff like that. And it's just like, I literally don't, the people who say that like um, Rebecca Kwong was like, essentially like a like like thought Ren was was doing the right thing, like have has never seen like an interview with her at all because like in- many of the interviews she's done but at least one of them she like talks about how like as she's doing research about like you know the real events that these are in um that the book's inspired by she talks about how like it's actually like i forget how it was described but like trying to piece together like the history of like specifically the rape of nanking and like other things that had happened to china a lot of the people working on these like restoration projects and stuff like that and like you know trying to like uh maintain the history of this were japanese people and that surprised her when she found that out because she was just like oh this is really interesting and stuff like that so it's just like again goes to show how like one people and countries change over time Mm -hmm. And all we want to recognize is like the past because it's, it still happened and people, um, some people to this day are still heavily affected by, by what happened. But anyway, characters. <laughs> I mean, I guess we can start with Rin. How yeah. do we feel about Rin? <laughs> you know what I will say? Or yeah. do you want to go? I will say. At the beginning of this book, I was really rooting for her. You know, Mm -hmm. I just think, obviously, you have the classic underdog. She's going to this academy where she's obviously looked down upon by everyone. No one believes in her. No one believes she belongs there. And I said this at the beginning, but I really admired just how much ambition she has, how much she's willing to go for what she wants in life. Because I, as a person who has just recently graduated college and has not a lot of ambition or direct idea of what my future what I want my future to be I just really admire that about her and I also relate to her fear it's like she's the whole reason she wants to go to this academy is because she's afraid of getting put into this arranged marriage and she's afraid of living this life where she not only has no power but her life is also like purposeless almost and I think that's relatable I, I think you can understand why she feels that way also 
when she gets her period and she's like, fuck this, I'm out. I relate yes. to that too. Girl. I understand that. Uh, okay. I, I, I genuinely don't. Like, I wish I knew more women. I wish I could like Twitter poll a bunch of like people who like go through periods and stuff like that. Because uh, same. She girl is so hardcore. She's at military school, drinks this concoction, this this experimental concoction that essentially like destroys her womb. So her first period is also her last period. And like, sure, it sucked for like a couple of days because it was literally like destroying her womb. But she did that. And now she never has to suffer a period a period again. And I'm just like as a person who also will never have children physically for as long as I can help it. Um, like I don't, I don't want to go through that ever. Super down. There were some people who didn't like that part because they felt like it was almost like a denial of femininity. Like she was like ripping out, like, you know, like women aren't strong enough. To but I, as a woman, <laughs> and I, not everyone, not every woman or like has to agree with me or anything but I was like I would definitely make that decision in her place like I understand why she did it and in a heartbeat I would make that decision yeah and like oh it's it's such an interesting topic because it's just like so it's just like so there's like the one in the spectrum who's just like if you can't have kids are you even a woman and that's really stupid that's very a trad uh traditional wifey don't agree with it the argument that like she was sacrificing her femininity, like her femininity, in order to stay in this place is interesting, especially because that's that's what Kwong was initially intending with that scene. Yeah, I would argue that maybe that is what she has to do because obviously she's in a very patriarchal society. Yeah. Like there are only two other girls there with her, and that's a lot of women for that year, apparently. Oh yeah, um, and so. I would argue even she has, I'm not saying it's right that she has to like deny some of her more feminine aspects to survive in this world, but I'm saying that she probably has to at times, right? So much of what she's has to do in this school is based on traditionally more masculine traits like mm-hmm. combat and rage and stuff like that, even though, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about. It's super interesting to think about. And we're going to continue to talk about it because we are two women doing a podcast. And when Kwong was doing that interview, she was talking about how it's like, definitely not, definitely disagreed with like the traditional wife people, but also disagreed with the people who thought like this was an empower- empowering m- moment for Rin. Because again, she specifically wrote this as like, this is something she was forced to do to her body in order to stay at this school, like you had mentioned and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to talk about this because like both of us agree with what she did but like did Rin agree with what she did because she did that as a circumstance like we're looking at it from like a very privileged perspective yeah. and like that is not lost upon us and I think even when she finds out later that she's like one of only two sparely's left like I think it could be hard because the question comes up like would you continue the you know race would you have children and she obviously can't and I don't think she even has the time to really think through the decision she makes not that Rin is like a person that thinks through things I think she's very impulsive yeah but like I I definitely agree with you like she almost felt like she had to do this whether or not she had to is debatable but she felt like she had to do this in order to survive at that school because everything was already against her and having to deal with the pain of the period every month 
when she was already dealing with all of this other stuff, it just felt like too much to her. It felt like a weakness that she had to cut out, which isn't true. Obviously, women can do great things on their periods. Woo. But Mm -hmm. I understand why she did it. And maybe she didn't want to do that, actually. Exactly. This, God, the scene is so, is so fascinating because also it's like she had no woman to turn to. She, not the, her, her, her other girl roommates were not talking to her. The doctor who prescribed it to her, I I want to say that there was like one female nurse and one male nurse, but the, but I I think he was a man. The doctor was a man, right? The per- yeah, the person who gave it to her was a man. He's just like, oh, I've been wanting for someone to try it out. He like, was like, like he I keep does telling not care. all the girls to do. This. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like he he does not care um, yeah. about like the reasons why they're doing it. He's just like, oh, well, obviously, it's like you don't have to worry about that in like this environment. It's not thinking about like why can't the environment change to be a little more accommodating to women? But I yeah. mean, it's a free military academy for reason i guess and um like she just literally has no one to turn to and so she and so she she makes this decision literally after her first period so it's like yeah. possibly it went through like more she would have gotten used to it and stuff like that again if i had her choice i would have taken it or maybe like a little baby version because it also sounded like she- super painful <laughs> she was dying and i'm a wimp but um it's a really complex scene and we like have to respect that yeah. also Rin's really funny she goes through a lot of funny things she is really f- bro when she gets diary all <laughs> so I know that she's not vomiting right but all I can think about is like you know how like when you have a friend that gets super drunk and is throwing up you'll hold their hair back all I can think about is Katai holding her hair back while she's just diarying on the side Yes. Okay. Okay. This is, this is a great topic. This is a great topic. So Rin, a really complex character, but oftentimes like she, she, you are not going to like her Um, to, 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 to this day. And again, I've only read the first book. I don't hate her, but I can't say I like her. I think what I feel for her is like respect and admiration and like, obviously not for the things she's done, but it's like, there, there's part of me that like, can't help but feeling that for her and stuff like that. And this is where we get into, if you don't like Rin, she is almost always redeemed as a person by her relationship to Katai. They have the best friendship. Yeah, It's so good. Listen, okay. One, I do not like Rin as a person. Like, I definitely would not hang out with her in real life if I knew her. I think she's so filled with rage. And it's, you understand why she's filled with rage. She's in a nation that's at war and is being treated like crap she, she has quite been like crap her whole life she has literally been compared to dirt multiple times so like you you know why she's angry and i love getting to read about the rage but it's also exhausting because all she is is angry all the time and she makes stupid decisions but also katai is like her only friend and he just redeems her <laughs> in so many ways not like actually redeems her but he makes her likable like I feel like he brings out some of the best in her I don't want to say he's like her conscience because he also does some questionable things and Mm -hmm. I don't want to just relegate him to being her conscience because he has his own character I feel like but also yay for getting a boy and girl friendship that has nothing to do with romantic love or sex (sighs) thank thank god it can happen (laughs) thank you thank you Becca because I hate, I hate how all the time to my guy friends and 
some girlfriends, but usually it's my guy friends. I constantly have to like, like struggle and fight when I'm just like, I just want to see a male and a girl be friends and <laughs> a male and a girl, a guy and a girl be, um, and they're just like, but if the chemistry's there, like, and, and they're, they're all the kind of people who are just like the best relationships are built off of friendships. And it's like, I don't disagree with that, but also you're going to have way more friends than romances. So this is about a different book. I'm right now I'm reading, oh gosh, what, what is it called? Ace. And then it has a subtitle. It's about asexuality, right? And I was reading this chapter and it was about how there's like, how we divide chemistry just into friendship or romantic slash lustful interests. Well, romantic and lust are different, but whatever. But how there's like so many different, it's like a spectrum. And chemistry does not always have to be just romance. Y'all, listen, listen, listen. Yeah, no, we, we as a people idolize romance a little too hard this is why you're sad when you're single and you and when you when you're in a relationship you feel like obviously you're gonna feel like really good for like a lot of reasons but it's just like you some people are just like yes this this is this is my status and then when you're when you lose that relationship you feel lost because you have now lost that status when it's like in reality you should not be feeling as hard as you do shameless plug for daniel slouse's is it jigsaw on netflix the comedy special Ooh, if you want to hear some things about love and how it should not be the center of your life. Anyway, oh man, I was going to say something about this. <laughs> <laughs> was it written Katai related? Was it just Katai It was written Katai related. Something along the lines of, I just, oh, when you're at war, also I feel like, not to call out all them, you know, books about war, mainly YA, where they also have a very strong romantic subplot. But I feel like if you're going through what they're going through, you don't have the time, let alone the emotional you... capacity to be like, let me fall in love with this person and dedicate my whole life to them while also fighting this war and going through all this trauma and doing all these things. Like You literally don't have time. You don't have time. Don't have time. That is not a healthy relationship. Damn. How can you be dedicated? I was reading this other book. And I was just like, you know, damn, they didn't kiss throughout the whole book and now they're going off to war. But also, yeah, they'd be going off to war. And and then my friend goes, in the Akatar series, they, they'd definitely be fucking on the battlefield. And I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> Bro, I just remembered I have to read that book for Carrie. Yeah, I have to read the first two books. <laughs> anyway, um, back oh, to God. Katai. Yeah, let's just I, move on to Katai. I love Katai because, okay, one, I love learning like at the school setting what I really liked was the strategy class because you got to learn so much about strategy with them and that's part of the reason I love Katai because he's just so good at strategy and that's also why he's a morally great character because he knows the logical decision what is always strategically best even if it isn't the morally best decision mm -hmm. and I just it's so interesting how he's able to like sometimes separate even though I feel like he's the most morally righteous in quotations since y'all can't see me out of all the characters <laughs> um i i still feel like it's interesting how we can separate what is obviously logically the best answer from what he emotionally feels is right also he has the only brain cell in this book in this whole book he is the only character with a brain cell besides maybe john and i guess urja is he the strategy yeah. teacher yes yes he is yeah, everyone be stupid because Katai took all the brain cells. He was just, <laughs> he, he, he is just the smartest lad due to his photographic memory. 
which is, can- oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally canon. He has photographic memory. So man literally does not have to study. He's just like, I read it. I know it. Oh, how my life would be different if I had photographic memory. But Katai, again, love this man because he, so he's like this really interesting character himself, even if he doesn't get like a lot of screen time and the screen time he does get, he's next to Rin and their friendship is beautiful and I love it. She spends the holiday with him and it was so fun. I was so happy for them. (laughs) She gets diarrhea because they ate some spicy food. And a peeing statue. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. And he bought her a peeing statue, like a real bestie. Oh, he's just so good. But also like, like, like Juliet was saying, he's complex himself. Like this man only knows what he has gone through. And, like, Rin will talk about how it's just, like, sometimes she doesn't want to, like, tell him things or have a conversation Mm -hmm. about him because, like, he can only understand things in a super logical way until he has experienced them. And so this man keeps joking about genocide and it's, like, not in, like... It, it, it's weird for me to even say like not not like in like a, a gross way but it's like he's still he's still making jokes about genocide he's just like yeah genocide is nothing like what we've gone through going through these like tests and stuff like that mm-hmm. like like literally anything school people will talk about like we're always talking about like getting run over by a bus to get our college paid for so it's like that feels very in line yeah. with like what kids would 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 joke about but then he goes through it Right. He 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 went through the events of Golanis. And like we said, after Rin destroys, essentially decimates the island of Mugen, he's just like, that was not the right decision because you have destroyed a whole people. And it's just like he, the man who joked about it is the one who's just is the one who's not the one taking it the most seriously. Uh, everyone is taking it as seriously as they can, given their history and stuff like that. But it's just like, it just goes to show you that like all the times he mentioned it back then was him being that naive, stupid kid because all of them thought that they were immortal until the war has. I was just going to say, everyone thinks they'll live forever until they're proven wrong. <laughs> okay, so I have two things going off of that point. The first thing relates to what you were saying about how they're all just kids. I think- we mentioned at the very, very beginning that way back when that there was a tonal shift, but that I feel like there's a reason for the very drastic tonal shift between part one and part two. And the reason obviously is that a war begins and like all these kids at this military academy were like playing at war. They're like, we're totally prepared. We know what strategy is. We know how to win a war. And then it starts and they're all like terrified and it's terrible. And they're all split apart. They're all alone. And they're just seeing death basically everywhere and they're not prepared and they were never prepared. And so I think you're right in saying that like, obviously everyone thinks they're going to live forever, that they're going to win the war, that I'm the protagonist of the story. And so obviously I'm going to win and I'm going to be fine, but obviously they're not. And it's such a hard realization to come to. So that's why I think the tonal shift works. Back to Katai, I agree with what you were saying about how he like needs to experience it to understand it. And I think that's also maybe like obviously I love Katai and I think he tries to be really sympathetic with Rin and how like not look down on her but I think some of his like he can't help it like some of his privilege does come through sometimes when he's talking to her like he just can't comprehend some of the things that she's lived through and it's not in a like it's not like he means to be flippant but it's like just all these things like he's always had access to money and so he's not like, it's not in a bad way. Like, he's trying to buy this peeing statue for Rin because he's she's 
his friend and he wants to be nice, right? And she's like, oh, but I don't have the money for it. And he's like, don't mention money to me again or something along the lines of that. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not that he's obviously doing it to be nice, but there are times where like even his own, I think classism comes through and it's not in a mean way, but I think it's interesting to see even among a character that we love and is probably the nicest out of all of them. Yeah, and I I love how you mentioned that because it's just like everything is complicated, you guys. That's the lesson because classism is complicated. Because they're the people. Because there's going to be multiple. There's going to be multiple mindsets in the in the people who are like higher up on the who are like who are like higher class. And this is a good segue to get into Neza later. But yeah, you have Katai who. He's rich. He's privileged. He is incredibly smart. It was super easy for him to get into Syngard. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, it's just, and, he, and he's a good guy. But it's just, like, what... what he's, he's the representation of just, like, someone who, like, has never seen the poor has never or it's like if he has it's just like they're just like one of the 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 market sellers on the street and he just like walks past them every day of his life you know like not actually like thinking about them and stuff like that so he's just like very blind to their problems he literally just is not aware of it because no one's going to write a a book about the poor that he's going to read he he the only books that are being published are like big history books and like science books and stuff like that and that's what he cares about and so it's just like he's just really really blind to like a lot of these problems and it's just like that is that is a genuine like problem he has due to his class and then we have neza who he's yeah, the yeah. other he's the other guy in the spectrum full disclosure we were talking earlier about problematic faves neza is my problematic <laughs> he and katai yeah i i know i'm gonna i know i'm gonna get the book the book the boot um in these next books uh when i witness more of alton doing things because uh, part one is a lot of Neza being a bully. <laughs> Rob, when Ren kicks him in the balls, that's, that's, that's so A funny. plus, A plus. <laughs> that's, that's when you knew. I guess to talk about Neja, obviously he's a dick. And he's quite privileged. And he just revels in that power, I think, a little bit. But I also think, gosh, I'm trying really hard to remember what happens in this book and not in the second book so I don't spoil it. I guess what I will say is just that I think he and Rin are very good foils for each other. Because I think ultimately they're quite similar people, but they have very different, I don't want to say, I guess ideologies, which you get into in the next books, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think they both are really good. Like they admire each other in a kind of funny way, even though they both hate each other initially too. And gosh, I can't say anything else. because. So what I can say is, for anyone who knows of the Harry Potter series, Neja is quite literally the Draco of the series. Um, hello. I would argue he's better developed than Draco and more complex. But yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me describing him as the, as the Draco of the series does does not mean he is one for one Draco because he like of the two he is the better character because the author actually cared to give him character and not make him a stereotype. Because he is the bully, but surprise, uh, he's also a fleshed out person, a three-dimensional person who changes and grows as events happen. I think it's interesting to see also how the war changes, like we talked about changes all the characters. Yeah. And how the relationship between Rin and Neja changes. So like, obviously, when Neja and Rin, when Syndergaard is attacked, they end up fighting side by side, like they're basically 
defending each other, which is interesting how quickly having this other enemy can all of a sudden make two children who were supposedly enemies like have to work together. But I also think later on when they meet up again, I think I forget where is it Cardolin or is it somewhere else? They meet uh, up again uh, when yes. they're both in the army. And because they're the only two people from their year at Syndergaard, because they've basically been separated from all these people that they spent years of school with, it's like all of a sudden it's almost a comfort to have this other person that you've known for so long there with you during this very difficult time. And so they almost become friends. And like, I also just appreciate that Neja defends her against Alton's like, you should probably like stand up to him. He's maybe being abusive, but also Rin has her own issues. Neja is such a good character because he develops and it's really good. And it's funny how usually typically war makes people worse and again, that's not to say that Neza, Neza's not done bad things and or won't do bad things in the future, because again, I've not read books two and three. But he goes from being like the popular bully to being thrust into the situation. And everyone talks about like the glory of war and stuff like that. But there's only glory. Okay, there's only glory uh, if two, two conditions are met. One, you're already like a high ranking general to begin with. So you'll be accredited with like, um, you know, the war decisions and tactics that are done. Like no one's going to remember you as a foot soldier. Uh, and two, you have to have won the war. So once those two conditions are met, that's when maybe there is some glory to it, which this is not me being pro-war. There, war just happens in fantasy. Okay, people. But so like, they're all foot soldiers. And so what this does is make Neja this like privileged rich kid because he's the son of the, the warlord of the dragon province literally like puts him down so many pegs because like he now realizes that it's just like, they're all equal in the sense that like they got to fight or they die. And also uh, like Juliet was saying, it's just like, he was lonely. Like, it, it's ne- it's never, like, directly said, but it's just, like, we can assume that this man was lonely because he was the popular kid, always had, like, people around him. He was the Alton of their year, which, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you see how, like, idolized Alton was, you'll, you'll, see, you'll know that that's a big deal. But he's the Alton of their year, and now it's just, like, he's with a bunch of randos. He's, like, well, he's lonely, okay? He, want, he wants a friend. Yeah, I... It obviously he's still a bit of an ass i think he's like rin he could be a bit arrogant but uh, i just think their relationship works really well because they do challenge each other i think is what it is like yeah yeah i think because they are very similar but they also have very different approaches or ideas i think it can be really interesting to see how they work together which we can talk about in later episodes after you read the second Book. yeah book two is a big ninja book as i've heard i mean listen <laughs> anyway i guess no do you have something to say? i was just gonna say spoilers book two opens with Neja. <laughs> so oh, you yeah. know oh, you know yeah. he's big i guess the only other thing i have to say about Neja, because i don't really have anything else to say if we without spoiling anything um is like it's hinted that that he's a shaman so do you have any idea what his abilities may be if he is a shaman how you feeling about that Neja being a shaman I'm totally here for I think that's great because I love him and Rin as uh 
parallel slash foils of each other. I think that's great. Um, my guesses are he's either some kind of healer or he'll probably be water-based because haha, water and fire. Oh my god. Is this Avatar the last airbender or is what? This, is this Sutara? <laughs> Except Neza's Katara and Rin is Zuko? Except <laughs> Neja is also Zuko because he's like the warlord son. <laughs> but but Although I would argue Neja is more empathetic just like Katara is than Rin is. Yeah, it's like in in character backstory, he is a Zuko, but in character core, he is a Katara. He is a Katara. And vice versa with Rin. Yeah. We've just broken the code, guys. That's it. This was just Avatar the whole time, as everything is. If he's not a healer, I don't know what they're doing. Um, He doesn't necessarily have to be water-based. Um. I think that's a little a little too on the nose, but if he's water based, okay. Also, if he's water based, that would also make sense because he comes so from the, the dragon, dragon province. Yeah, yeah, and, and dragons are yeah like, creatures of water. Yeah, dragons. Yeah, dragons in Asian mythos are like have water based powers, not fire. Yeah. Um. Wait, there's there's only one other thing I wanted to mention with Neja, and that is Neja is canonically the prettiest person in this book. <gasps> yes! I love how he's so pretty. Like, Rin is like, he's prettier than all the girls. He's prettier than all the boys. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he is just the prettiest person, and every, almost every time, like, Neja pops up to Rin, she, like, is always being like, wow, so pre- he's so pretty. And, like, the moon is, like, reflecting off his skin, and he's, like, really pale and stuff like that. And, and I gotta say, uh, one... Because we, we are addressing colorism and stuff like that. I do love it that the girl is darker than the guy because um, in a bunch of places where like colorism is a thing, the girl is like pale as fuck, but they literally do not care what the guy looks like. Now, the lesson is you should not care what anyone looks like, but I like this reversal. Also, like going along with that, when Neja shows up at the camp and he's like, do you want to see my epic scar? And he's going to take his shirt off. I was just like, this is a nerd. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he's just like Lily's just like, like look at my gross scar, and she's just like, dude, wicked. Like again, further emphasizing that they are just kids, and I love that. Whenever whenever it emphasizes that they are just like dumb people, I love that. Oh yeah, Neja and Rin are super dumb too, and that's why they're perfect yeah. for each other. Yes, two dumb children. Yeah. Um, who said who said you have to be with a smarty? Do you want to talk about I guess like the only other character I really want to talk about because we already kind of touched on Alton. Yeah. Is Jang 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 Jang. Jang. Uh, um yeah. and I also want to talk about the magic system with him because I think the magic system is so cool. Yeah, agreed. Uh in terms of Jong, I like him. I think he's definitely one of the characters that is more morally good. And I enjoyed his master-student relationship with Rin, even if it's a little archetypal. Like, I've heard people compare it to The Name of the Wind, which I haven't read, but a lot of people have made this comparison. So I think, I mean, even just for Asian stories, I think it's archetypal to have the master and the student, but I think that's because it's a vital relationship to have. But I also just like how he challenges Rin and all the conversations they have, especially relating to like religion and spirituality and what the purpose of religion is, where it comes from, how it develops in culture. I thought that was all interesting. But I guess one related to the magic system, 
I really like the magic system because I mean, I read Percy Jackson, y'all. I know about them gods. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Different gods, different mythology, right? But usually it's like to be chosen by a god is a good thing. But I think here it's like really interesting that one, that it's not a good thing because if you are a shaman, then like you'll either die a terrible death or you'll go insane and have to be imprisoned for your entire life for eternity. And also because I think it's interesting. I think there's one scene where... Rin is like in the pantheon and she's talking to the phoenix and the phoenix is like you know gods have like an an innate nature like the phoenix's innate nature is like rage and anger and it wants to destroy things right but ultimately the shamans are the ones who make the decisions and while they act like a vessel for the gods like it's Rin who had who makes the decision to basically blow up Mugen like Mm -hmm. I like that just because the gods are using them it's not like they're not morally culpable. Like they are the ones, Rin is the one making these decisions. And even though, so like, I like it that it's like, she can't blame it on the Phoenix. Like she can't blame everything she does on this higher power, this magical being that's like influencing her. Like ultimately she makes these decisions. And I thought that was really interesting. And we're relating that back to John. I wonder what you think about like his view of, how shamanism should be used, like how they shouldn't be calling down gods. Because obviously, when I was first reading that first part of the book, and I found out Rin can have fire powers, and they're about to go to war. This is great. She should obviously have <laughs> <get the> fire <laughs> powers. And then you learn more about the costs, and you see what it does to her. And also, like, I think how Chagan's people um, kind of approach shamanism very differently, where they're not trying to call down the gods or like even control or use the gods. Um, they're just trying to like attain enlightenment and it's very different I thought I wanted to know what you thought about I guess John's perspective versus Rin's and also at the end the last time we see John when he kind of abandons Rin when she goes to the stone mountain thing and she's like we're gonna we need your help because we're at war and he kind of is just like I don't care like I can't do this I can't help you and he like goes back into the stone like I wanted to know what you thought about that i guess yeah so i mean i i I really love jong's character um and it's like probably because i like the archetype it's very shonen like uh Mm -hmm. shonen slash um like you said traditionally asian uh where it's just like the guy who is not showing off his powers and you're just like why am i listening to this guy and then you realize he was right the whole time always appeals to me um (laughs) His his view of shamanism, I don't disagree with, obviously, because it's just, like, we've seen the consequences of it. However, you know, yeah, I, I'm speaking with, like, a lot of hindsight and as an, as an observer, if I was someone in Rin's place, I think I would be, like, well, why can't I, like, use these powers? Especially <laughs> because it's never... He was never super upfront up, up yes. with the consequences, which is just like, if he really didn't want her to use them, he would have told her the consequences. However, to defend him, I think what he ultimately wants slash respects out of a person in general. So like what he respects is a person's autonomy. So <laughs> he only wants to tell them enough to be like, I want, I want you to have some semblance of like, a, of like, you know what you're going to get yourself into. And then the choice is yours. Yeah. But so so it's like that part I respect. However, it's like what I what I think I'm like still like too naive myself as a person about is it's like 
if you never want to tap into these powers, why be a shaman in the first place? Yeah, I think, so it's interesting. I think maybe you might get a little more insight in later books when you learn more about, gosh, I can't say his name, Chagan's people, like how yeah. they approach shamanism. Um, but I still also have that, because, okay, I hate to say it, but I would want the power. And yeah. I know that Zhang's whole point is that he doesn't want you to need to want the power or to need the power. Like he's yeah. disappointed when Rin is like, all I want to be is a soldier and nothing more. So I understand why he feels that way, but also she's about to go to war. Like, and he doesn't, he's not really straight with her about, like he said, what the consequences are or even what shamanism is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think I understand the decision she makes. And I am curious, like, I kind of agree with you. Like what is, the point although somehow Zhang still has like some weird supernatural abilities like can't he like float a little bit or something or move the leaves oh yeah yeah, yeah, he knows what shamanism is so I I think maybe it's like becoming more aware of your surroundings becoming more I wouldn't say at one because it sounds cliche but I think I think there's some truth into that he is connected with his environment and the world around him and maybe that also makes him able to be more empathetic where i think you know he was the gatekeeper right and i think you'll learn more about what he did as the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. um but the gatekeeper was very different from the jong that we know now i think jong has a lot of regrets about what he did and so i think approaching shamanism in this way where it's not for power but it's more for enlightenment or understanding Mm-hmm. is a way that helps him, I guess, see humans more clearly, empathize with them more, and also dis- but also disconnect from the world. Like, disconnect from... I don't want to say disconnect from the war, because he basically... I understand that Ren feels like he abandoned her at her time of need, and yeah. he basically was like, this war isn't my problem, and all these people are dying. But it's almost like disconnecting from troubles of the world. I don't know. Yeah, and, like, Ren is... she's not wrong for feeling hurt by that however it's like again us as the observers it's just like yeah he is i'm i don't know if he's immortal but like he is this almost otherworldly being as a shaman and as the gatekeeper and it's just like what he views as his duty is going to be like so far above what rin what rin's (laughs) duty is because it's like like he like he's literally floating and getting that bird's eye view yeah i don't know i think it'll be interesting to see how the relationship develops and i think john really wanted to do the especially since he feels like he messed up with alton mm-hmm. like he let alton down yeah i think he really wanted to try to do better at the same time he has a history of letting shaman or lore students down. Like it wasn't like Alton was the only one. Right. And so I don't want to, cause he, I don't want to say that he doesn't have any, hold any of the blame. Cause I think he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand he was trying his best to, I don't know, introduce them to shamanism in a way that wasn't like solely for power. I think we touched on everything we wanted to talk about. So do you want to, so. Did you did you, did you want to get into my predictions for book two? <laughs> yeah, if you have any predictions. So to close it out, since Victoria has not read books two or three yet, do you have any predictions for what will happen in book two? My predictions for book two. 
Uh, see, I know some of the things that are going to happen, so I have to like separate like what I know from like my predictions. Uh, more Neja, <laughs> but uh, but I also also like, I kind of know that. Um, do I have any predictions? Um, I predict that I will be sad <laughs> reading the book, specifically reading about what Alton does. However, I'm also going to make the prediction that unless he does something crazy stupid, I will still not hate him. I will still treat him as baby boy who does not deserve to be baby boy. I will predict that we might get more backstory between Chagon and Alton. I predict that Katai and Rin are going to go through some turmoil in their friendship, but I, well, okay, I'm hoping that they stay friends afterwards, but what do we know? I'm also going to predict that cause, cause what is it? Cause we're in the spoiler section. So we never touched, we never talked about the queen or the, the empress, but the, yeah, the empress is the vipress. Yeah. And she betrayed the leader of the psyche, right? To the, yeah. The end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, that, that was wild. John's the gatekeeper. There's a third. Yes. In, in the little, sh- yeah, the dragon emperor. Oh, and this is the Dragon Republic. So I predict that we're going to see the Dragon Emperor. <laughs> or actually, wasn't the Dragon Emperor... Is he dead? So people say that he's dead. Whether he is really dead or not, I guess remains to be seen. Okay. Well, if that's what people are saying, I'm going to predict he's not dead because it just makes sense for all three of the people from the Shadow story to still be alive. And I'm also going to predict that I will laugh at least once and I will maybe cry. Okay. I will say that some of your predictions were good and some were way off. Okay. Awesome. I'm excited. Yay. Yes. Yeah, Get ready to cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry so much. Well, that will wrap up this first episode. Uh, thanks anyone who has tuned in. And I hope you stick with us on our little journey.